Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? He makes a good point when you think about it. If you don't know where someone's going, how do you, how do you know the way? If you don't know the destination, how do you know how to get there? And if without a destination, we sort of wander around. Then what's the destination for Australia? Do we ever think about that? Because if we do, it will determine how we choose to vote when we have to go to the referendum about the voice. It will determine what, you make, what decisions you make if you're the treasurer about the upcoming budget. What's the destination? Because if we can figure that out, then we know somewhat how to get there. And we think about that in our own lives. What's the destination or purpose for our lives? What is, what is it that we are about? I had a conversation with someone recently, not from this congregation, a quite elderly person, and they were nearing 100. If they make it, and she's quite well, she'll be 100 by the end of this year. And I said, what's your purpose of your life? And she started to tell me of all the things that she's interested in, all the things that fascinate her, all the things she's curious about. And I thought, well, you're going to have to live another 100 years just to even begin to approach all the things you're excited and interested about. And it made me think there have been old periods of my life when if you'd have asked me the same question, I wouldn't have had a clue. I'm not really interested in anything. I'm just trying to get day to day. But if life has a destination, if it has energy and purpose, then we know what it's about. It's got meaning to us. You know, Thomas should have known all of this anyway. When he said, we don't know where you're going, Jesus had just said, I'm going to my father's house. Thomas should have known exactly where Jesus was going, the father's house. For a good Jew who'd read the, Jew, the Hebrew scriptures all his life, he knows that the father's house is the entire world. All the way through the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, God talks about God's dwelling place being with human beings, in presence of human beings, in the world that God made. That's where the Father's house is. Thomas should know that. Not only that, at this point they're in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem is the temple. And the temple is a kind of model universe. It's kind of a built... Uh, it's, a, it's a model of the whole idea of how the world is supposed to be. And what's at the very centre of the temple? A place called the Holy of Holies, where God dwells. God is in the midst of, in the middle of, human beings. And Jesus acknowledged this himself because right at the beginning of John's Gospel, Jesus complains about the way people are treating the temple. And he calls it his father's house. You've made it a den of thieves, he says. And then the Gospel goes on to say, because he go, Jesus goes on to talk about the temple falling down or being pulled down and then being built up again in three days. And people are confused. But the gospel says, almost in parenthesis, Jesus is talking about himself. He's talking about his own self. He is the Father's house. He is the temple. And then Paul, in his letters to the Christians, the first Christians, 
takes this even further. He says, if Jesus is right, he doesn't put it in these words, but these are my words. If Jesus is right, that we are in God and God is in us, that we are in Jesus and Jesus is in us, as Jesus says in the rest of John's gospel, then you too are the temple. You too are the Father's house. You too are the dwelling place of God. Jesus says, you are in me and I am in you. Paul says, that makes us all the dwelling place of God. You see, we have to take John's gospel in all its metaphorical mystery. It's not an instruction book. It's not a workshop manual that you open up with a bunch of diagrams of how to do things and everything will be clear. It's better read as poetry. It's better read as an invitation into mystery. God is present everywhere and in everything. We should know this. We know from our science that we are all made of the same stuff. We're all made of exploding stars. Everything that we are comes from that one event that we now call the Big Bang. Sometimes in churches we pray that God should join us. Please, God, come and... It's a strange thing to do. And it's so anti what the Bible tells us, what our experience tells us. God is everywhere all at once. If we pray at all, we should pray that we should be open to the experience that is always everywhere around us. We don't hope when we go out of the house in the morning, that there will be air for us to breathe. We just know it's everywhere. What we hope for is that our lungs will be fit enough to take it in. It's a different thing completely. Jesus kept saying, I am in you, you are in me. This is the experience. This is a mystery. It's to, a mystery to be experienced, not to be explained. This is not about Jesus going away physically, although he does do that from the disciples. We know because we know that he will die in a couple more chapters. But it's Jesus going deeper into the interconnectedness of all things and all people, into his existence and ours. That's why he says, I am the way to Philip. Because Philip says, we show us the Father. We, and Thomas says, we don't know the way. And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus is not here saying something exclusive. Something that if you don't believe a certain set of creeds, you won't be in. You won't be accepted. What Jesus is saying is, you already know the way. Because he says this to Philip, uh, sorry, to, sorry, to Thomas, you already know the way. Well, what, do we, what does he mean we know the way? I think what he means is we know the way in the way that children know things. Because Jesus is very keen on telling us to rethink the world as a child does. Which is a taking in of everything and a willingness to accept, a willingness to live in the world as it is. We know that children are able to endure all kinds of terrible things that can throw adults for years, but the children accept them in a different way because that is the way the world is. The way the world is, is the way they accept it. They just see it as it is. So when Jesus says, 
I'm going away to the Father's house. He's not so much showing a route map that you can find on Google. It's more a way of being. He's talking about a way of being alive, a way of being human. The deep interconnectedness that's between each of us and the whole world. And the way to live this human life is to live it in truth. It's a real, authentic, abundant life as Jesus talks about in John. This is the place that Jesus is preparing, not some place distant from us, but right here, right now, preparing a moment for you and for me to live open, full lives, to be at home where we already are in the world because the world is the house of God. The world is the Father's house. It's the interconnectedness that Paul talks about, or at least the writer of the letter to the Ephesians, which may be Paul, but we're not sure, that God has broken down the dividing wall between us and between us and God. It never really was there, but we've built it up. We've considered it to be there. And then he goes on and says something absolutely extraordinary in his letter to the Galatian Christians. He said, there's now no longer any Jew or Gentile. Those great divisions, the division that gives the Hebrew people their whole sense of who they are, that no longer exists. There's no nationalities, there's no races, there's no real ethnicities, there's no political divide between us and anyone else. Not only that, there's no slave or free. There's no economy based on slavery anymore. That's abolished. That's unreal. It's not even true. There are no hierarchies with those of us who are rich and wealthy and those of us who are poor and uneducated. Not only that, even the most fundamental division that we think there is in the world between men and women, there is now no male or female. There's no more domestic control by the superior gender over the inferior gender. Everyone is an autonomous, alive, individual human being. All of those things are abandoned. All of us, Paul says, are one in Christ. This is a complete radical rethinking of the world. It comes into every aspect of our life. That's why Paul talks about Jew and Gentile. One way of understanding the world culturally. That's why it talks about slave and free. One way of understanding the world economically. We think the whole world operates economically. That's how our politics operates now. And even domestically, there's no male or female. All of those things have been abandoned. The world is deeply interconnected. The divisions are all illusory. We are made of the same stuff. But even more than the same stuff it turns out, isn't actually stuff. The universe is made up not so much of stuff, but of interaction. All the science that we now know in physics tells us that it's not the stuff that exists because there's hardly any stuff in the universe. Most of the universe is something we don't even understand and it's really energy that connects across the universe within our brains. Most of our bodies are empty. You might think that as you wake up in the morning and try and figure out what you're going to do for the day, that, yeah, that seems to make sense. But it's true. It's the interaction between tiny little particles. It's the 
It's the connection. It's the energy. It turns out the universe is made up of energy. It's made up of interconnection. It's made up of relationship. Reality is energy. John gets this in the letters to John, which are probably written by the same person as the Gospel of John. We don't know, but it, most scholars think so. But what's going on there is that John seems to take it even further. He says, well, not a, we're not saying that God is loving, but that God is love. God is the energy that's between us all, between everything that exists. There's no other way to know the universe than to know it. There's no other way to be in relationship with each other than to be in relationship. There's no other secret other than to be the human beings that God has always made us to be, that we always are, even if we don't recognise it. And I think that's why Jesus finally says, there's no way to the Father except through me. It's not again an exclusive thing that there's this sort of set door that you have to go through because you believe a certain set of creeds or you don't. So you can't go through. It's that the, unless you're willing to accept the total interconnectedness of everything, the total indwelling of God in all of us, in everything that exists, and everything that exists living in the Father's house, in the universe of God, unless you understand that there's just no way. You will just continue to exist rather than live. You will be the person who looks but doesn't see, which is all the way through John's Gospel. You will be the person at the very beginning of John's Gospel when the first thing that happens is Jesus turns ordinary water into extraordinary wine who doesn't know what's going on. Because you don't need to know what's going on. All you need to do is drink the wine and enjoy it. And when you do, life changes. You begin to realise that you are the one that God is talking about. You are the temple of God. You are the one who lives in God's house. That's the story we tell. That's the story of John's Gospel. And that's all we'll do. That's all we need to do. Amen.